0: With Dr. Frank Turek.
1: You can't serve both God and money. Apparently, Chick fil A thinks maybe you can. It looks like $10.5 billion a year is not enough for Chick fil A, so they appear to have decided to serve money rather than God. I say appeared to because. Maybe the reports aren't completely true. Maybe they are going to come b- walk this back somehow. But according to recent reports, as you know, and by the way, this is not going to be the topic of the program, the complete topic. We're going to go on to other topics, but we need to talk about this before we move on to other topics. It looks like Chick-fil-A has, has become chicken. They're chicken. They're, they're afraid. They're now of uh, what the lgbtq activists have done and they're buckling they're not supporting the salvation army anymore a fellowship for christian athletes now why would they not support these groups anymore well there's several articles you can read about this right now i'm, I'm going to read from michael brown's article on stream.org stream by the way a great place to get good christian conservative content stream.org the uh the Article is called Chick-fil-A Learns You Can Never Appease LGBTQ Activists. Here's a section of it. Chick-fil-A President and Chief Operating Officer Tim Tassopoulos, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that name right. Anyway, COO Tim explained, quote, There's no question. We know that as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are. There are lots of articles and newscasts about Chick-fil-A, and we thought we needed to be clear about our message, unquote. What does that mean? Anyway, Michael Brown goes on to say, to be sure, Tessa Polos also announced no organization will be excluded from future consideration, faith-based or non-faith-based, unquote. But the message was loud and clear. Chick-fil-A needed to shed all the negative press and establish a new, untarnished reputation based on its charitable contributions, quote, in the areas of education, homelessness, and hunger. In other words, Chick-fil-A has now said, we're going to focus our charitable giving on education, homelessness, and hunger. All right, newsflash Chick-fil-A Isn't that exactly what the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes do? I mean, now, obviously, Chick-fil-A can give or not give to whomever it wants. It's a free country. They don't have to give to anybody if they don't want to. But don't say the reason you're not giving to the Salvation Army or the Fellowship of Christian Athletes is because you want to focus your giving on exactly what those organizations are already doing. (laughs) That's what they do. Certainly, Salvation Army, when I think of homelessness, that's who I think about. Or feeding the poor, I think of the Salvation Army, don't you? And education, that's what Fellowship of Christian Athletes do. So there's something else going on here. Here's what Michael Brown says about it. In the words of GLAD, formerly the Gay-Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, better named the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Disagreement, Here's what Glad says, quote, if Chick-fil-A is serious about their pledge to stop holding hands with divisive anti-LGBTQ activists, then further transparency is needed regarding their deep ties to organizations like Focus on the Family, which exist purely to harm LGBTQ peoples and fam- people and families, unquote. Okay. <laughs> I, I, this is just so ridiculous. I don't even know where to start. I mean, (laughs) I mean, do these LGBTQ, well, let me just not broad brush everybody, but does GLAAD really think that focus on the family exists purely to harm LGBTQ people and families? Are you so narcissistic that you think focus on the family was started and currently exists to harm you? Do you really think that? I mean, focus on the family was started in 1977. uh, homosexuality was was hardly a blip on their radar or the country's radar in 1977, and it, and if you go to their website, here's their mission quote to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible by nurturing and defending the God ordained institution of the family and promoting biblical truths worldwide unquote. There's not a word in here about LGBTQ stuff. This has to do with the gospel. Now, obviously, Christianity has certain beliefs uh, regarding sexual behavior for the good of everybody. So that's an implication of Christianity. That may be an implication of the gospel. That's not, but that's not why they exist. And by the way, do you also think that, that Sa- the Salvation Army exists as an anti lgbtq organization? The Salvation Army began in 1865 in London. Now in 1865 in the United States, homosexual behavior was a felony in every state. Do you think... Do you really think, folks, do you really think that the Salvation Army exists to, to stop LGBTQ policy? Is that why they exist? No, Now, obviously, since the bedroom has been brought into the political arena by these LGBTQ activists then there's going to be political implications here. But these organizations were not initiated and don't exist simply to resist certain political desires of certain sexual groups. That's not why they exist. Now, their beliefs may, 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 may impact those things, but they don't exist for those reasons. It amazes me that, that people are so myopic and so focused on themselves that they think anybody who disagrees with them has come into existence purely to disagree with them. Now, Matt Staver writes on the Christian Post, and the uh, title of this article is, Matt Staver Response to Franklin Graham Chick-fil-A is now funding a pro-LGBTQ group. Uh, so Franklin Graham, whom I love, by the way, he doesn't he doesn't suffer fools, and he and he has no problem speaking his opinion. Franklin Graham apparently called Dan Cathy, the president of Chick Fil A, a couple of days ago, and said, "Hey, are you going to still support uh, LG, or are you going to still support uh, Christian groups?" And Dan Cathy has, uh, affirmed that he would. And I don't know all the details of the conversation, but Franklin Graham is basically saying, "Hey, don't worry about it. Chick Fil A's okay." Well, according to Matt Staver. Matt Staver says this, In 2014, Chick-fil-A decided to stop funding the Paul Anderson Youth Home because it was accused of being anti-LGBT. But it still had funding commitments with the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, both of which are also falsely accused of being anti-LGBT because they have biblical policies on marriage and sex outside of marriage. Now that the funding commitment has expired, Chick-fil-A says it will no longer fund Salvation Army and FCA, even though the Salvation Army fits within its giving priority of funding organizations that provide housing and food banks, and FCA provides education. Instead, this... COO Tassopoulos states Chick Fil A will now fund Covenant House International, which is much smaller than the Salvation Army in, in in only 31 cities, and an LGBTQ activist. In other words, Covenant House is 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 pro LGBTQ behavior. And Tassopolis speaking of funding Covenant House, states, "quote This provides more focus and more clarity." Unquote. Matt Staver says at least he is correct, and this. Uh, Clarity reveals the betrayal. The founder of Covenant House, a Catholic priest pedophile, was sued for allegedly sexually abusing the youth who are seeking shelter and food. Covenant House proudly promotes LGBTQ on its website, referring to, quote, LGBTQ inclusion initiatives and even doing an inclusion assessment at every one of its facilities. Covenant House also proudly supports the New York City Gay Pride Parade with its own float, banners, t-shirts, t-shirts. And hashtags. It's recognized as a national funder of LGBTQ causes. And Chick fil A is supporting this group over the Salvation Army? Really? We need some clarification. And we'll get to it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. We're back in two minutes.
0: On American Family Radio, this is Barry McGuire. I'm a car guy here to help you understand God's purpose for your life through the eyes of a layman. It's disturbing to keep up with the stats that show how we're changing as a society. Take this one for instance. Middle-aged white guys are killing themselves in record numbers, increasing faster than any other age or racial group. Obviously something's wrong, what's happening here? It's a complicated subject, but at the core, middle-aged white guys are struggling to find an adequate reason to live. Our life has to have meaning or we won't value it and it becomes easier to quit on it. That's where we are today. The ultimate reason for living is found in living God's purpose for your life. He alone gives life a meaning that's not fleeting, changing your life and the lives around you for eternity. Your job is to ignite revival outside the walls of your church by moving everyone you're with today closer to Jesus. If you want to know how easy that is, go to rotw.com.
2: When we try to assert too much authority, we can get stuck with an unfortunate label. My boss is such a control freak. If you or I tried to bring the whole planet under our control, we'd certainly be called a control freak. Yet in Scripture, we see that God is in charge of everything. He insists on world domination. And you know what? It's entirely appropriate. Why? Because He's God, and we're not. Listen to these words from Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything, because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. When God asks us to surrender our lives to Him, it's not because He's a control freak. He's the rightful owner and the only one who has the ability to truly direct every detail of our lives. With Seeking Hand, I'm Nancy demoss Wagamouth.
1: Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. We're actually actually live this morning here, Saturday, the 23rd of November. It's rare we're live. Normally I'm on the road, but... uh Maybe, if we have time at the, toward the end of the program, we'll get to your phone calls, 888 589 We've got a little bit more to cover, and i got many questions that you've emailed me. I want to get to a few of them today, if I can. Anyway, we're talking about, at least initially here in the first part of the program, this whole Chick-fil-A fiasco. I'm reading again from Matt Staver's article. This happens to be on the Christian Post, where he says, Chick-fil-A dumps the Salvation Army because, he wants to ex- because it wants to expand into new markets and now shuns organizations, the LGBTQ activists, call, falsely called anti-LGBTQ, and then turns 180 degrees to announce it will now fund Covenant House, a radical LGBTQ activist organization that celebrates homosexuality, transgenderism, and the entire political agenda. And he says, and Covenant House does not stop with LGBTQ activism. It also takes girls to abortion clinics. It has a story linked about an ab- about someone from Covenant House taking a girl to an abortion clinic, and this is this is what El- this is what Chick Fil A wants to support now. Really, we need some clarification. Uh, and I hope Franklin Graham's right that everything's okay over there at Chick Fil A. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, AFA, American Family Association, and you're listening to the American Family Radio Network right now, has a right on their website a petition. To uh, If you you go to the page, afa.net, you'll see it right there. Chick-fil-A and support for Christian uh, charities. Sign our petition to Chick-fil-A. Check it out. If you feel like signing it, it's almost up to 100,000 people right now. Maybe uh, the great Tim Wildman can go visit Dan Cathy over there at Chick-fil-A and uh, bring all these petitions to him and say, hey, what's going on? Now, again... Chick-fil-A can do whatever it wants. It's a free country. It's a, it's a private company. They don't have to give to anybody. But don't tell us that you're going to focus your giving on hunger, homelessness, and education, and then say that that Salvation Army and FCA don't fit those criteria. That's exactly what they do. There's something else going on here, isn't there, Chick-fil-A? Well, I hope you'll explain Because Christians for many years have looked to you as a kind of a beacon of how to do business in a hostile culture, and you're chucking all that for money? Really? (laughs) Come on. You can't serve both God and money. Do what's right, leave the results to God. Ben Shapiro also has an article. Uh, just came out a couple hours ago on Fox News. He says, when the cultural left can't achieve what it wants through public mobilization, it simply uses the power power of government to blackmail those it dislikes. So despite the fact that Chick-fil-A had never discriminated against gay customers, it would sell a chicken sandwich to anyone. Then Boston Mayor Thomas... Menino, who's since passed away, promised to ban the franchise from the city. Then Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel quickly followed suit, pledging to support an alderman's plan to block Chick-fil-A from opening a restaurant at O'Hare Airport. San Antonio recently blocked Chick-fil-A from opening a restaurant at its airport. Let me stop right here. Thankfully, the uh, Texas governor stepped in and stopped that. So I think they San Antonio can now have a Chick-fil-A. Anyway, and the airport in Buffalo, New York, followed suit. San Jose, California pledged not to renew Chick-fil-A when its lease ran out. I think that's not until 2026, so we'll see what happens there. And... Here's what Shapiro goes on to say. Our First Amendment culture is endangered when local governments are given the capacity to block businesses from operating, not on the basis of business discrimination, but on the viewpoint of the company's founder alone. That's precisely what's happening here. If giving to Christian charities now bars you from opening a restaurant at the airport, our culture is beyond the point of no return. All right, let me disagree with Shapiro right here. Uh, It's never beyond the point of no return because... We're supposed to be salt and light, and we're going to continue to do what's right and lead the results to God. But I agree with Ben here that this is a problem, and uh, you need to have your voices uh, heard all around the country, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, if you can ban a company for what they, what the founders think about biblical marriage, this is trouble for everyone. Now, as usual, the Babylon Bee puts it very well. They have a headline here this morning. Actually, it came out yesterday. Babylon Bee, the Christian satire site. Brilliant says uh, here's the headline Chick-fil-A replaces cow mascot with golden calf. <laughs> here's Here's the write-up. Chick-fil-A corporate headquarters announced Friday that the restaurant will be getting a new mascot in place of the traditional Chick-fil-A cow, a golden calf. Restaurant patrons will be asked to dance around and worship the golden calf when they enter the restaurant to show their submission to the LGBTQ agenda. Take off the body piercings that your LGBTQ plus same-sex partners are wearing and bring them to me, said Dan Cathy in a solemn ceremony while creating the restaurant's first ever golden calf this morning. So all the people did so and brought them to Kathy. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, calf fashion it with a plastic fork. This is your God, people of Chick-fil-A, who brings you great business and allows you to expand into other markets, unquote. Then the people worshiped uh, in a mighty dance, and there was much rejoicing. At publishing time, an angered Kane West had entered the restaurant, and spotting the golden calf immediately threw down copies of Jesus is King, and Jesus is King too, shattering them to bits, ladies and gentlemen. The Babylon Bee. <laughs> if you don't know about the Babylon Bee, go to thebabylonbee.com. Sometimes you can make a point better through humor than you can through the ranting and raving that people like me do. So anyway, check that out. They're at the Babylon Bee. So Chick-fil-A has decided that it's going to worship money rather than God, apparently. I hope that's not true. I'm I'm hoping they're they're going to walk this back and say no. we <laughs> We, we really didn't mean it, but let's just pray uh, that is the case. Uh, another article on First Things talks about, makes a couple of interesting points that I just want to bring uh, to your attention. Jake Medor is the author, and he writes, Despite their remarkable growth and ability to thrive even in liberal bastions such as New York City, the company has decided to stop supporting conservative organizations due to progressive pressure. Right, let me stop right here. Do you know that, I don't know, four or five years ago when Chick-fil-A opened, their, one of their, their first Manhattan Chick-fil-A, Governor de Blasio, not Governor, Mayor de Blasio up there, said, don't go there. They're, you know, they're, they're bigots and all this. Okay. There's still a line around the block at Chick-fil-A there at that location. Why? Because what they do is just too good. It's delicious. People are going to – they're not going to stop going there because – some uh, mayor says, "Don't do this." And why would a mayor uh, not welcome people who are always pleasant, always kind, serve everybody, have a great product? Because you don't agree with their political position on marriage, which, by the way, they've been on the right side for five thousand years. <laughs> and same-sex marriage comes comes it, it starts up ten minutes ago, and suddenly everybody must bow to the golden calf. Here, is that what you're saying, mayor? Anyway, this uh, Jake Meter goes on to say, I suspect that this is because progressives, unlike conservatives, are willing to say, quote, we know what the good life is and what human beings ought to be. And so we're going to push that on everybody. Now, Christians. Liberals, political and theological liberals. They believe what they believe, maybe to a stronger degree than what you believe. Why is that? I mean, Jesus is the truth. And if there is no God, there is no ultimate truth, or there is no ultimate there are no ultimate rights, and you've got people out there who have no foundation for their beliefs, pushing them basically at the threat of the financial sword on everybody else. And yet you, a Christian, who know that Christianity's true beyond a reasonable doubt, who have God literally come to earth to add humanity to his deity and takes your punishment on himself, you're part of that belief system and you don't think it's important enough to let other people know about that you don't think it's important enough to fight for? I don't mean picking up swords, don't get me wrong. I mean at least... Verbally? You don't think that's important enough? The truth is not important enough to persuade other people to at least know it and encourage them to accept it? And yet you've got this group of people out there who have no foundation for their beliefs. They have to steal from God in order to come up with rights at all. They're more vocal and more persuasive and more effective than you are and you have the truth, shame on you, shame on me, shame on us. Well, there's a lot more to cover, ladies and gentlemen. There's those articles you can look at and we'll see what happens with regard to Chick-fil-A. Again, you can go sign the petition at afa.net if you want Chick-fil-A to If you want to kind of smoke out Chick-fil-A and say, okay, you need to clarify what's going on here. And why are you supporting this Covenant House place, which is actually supporting behaviors that Jesus and the apostles and, of course, God would disagree with because those behaviors hurt people and are against God's design for this universe? Why would you support those things, Chick-fil-A? We want some clarification. Because we've supported you. And we want we want what's best for everybody. And the Christian worldview is what's best for everybody. And yet you're ready to to chuck that for more money. Is that what you're doing? Let us know. Just so we know where everybody stands. All right. Now, uh, I just got back yesterday from a conference out in California called the Evangelical Theological Society, also called, also an, a parallel organization called the Evangelical Philosophical Society. and it's a it's a group that meets about it meets every year in a different city, and it's basically where scholars come together and give papers and have conversations. It's a complete nerd-out event. Uh, you have people reading their papers. You have a a source. Yeah, you have probably five hundred different lectures you can go to over the three days, and uh, if you're a nerd, you love it. So I go to this thing when I can, and uh, one of the one of the presentations I went to was supposed to be a, a panel discussion on theistic evolution, and in this panel discussion were three or four theistic evolutionists. These are people that claim to be Christians, Christian scholars who believe in evolution. And then Stephen Meyer of the Discovery Institute. You guys know Stephen Meyer. Had him on the program many times. Paul Nelson also of the Discovery Institute. And, of course, William Lane Craig, the great William Lane Craig. And uh, they had this discussion on theistic evolution. And it was supposed to, at least in my view anyway, cover two basic questions. Number one, is macroevolution compatible with scripture? And question number two: Does the scientific data support macroevolution? And if it doesn't, why should we care about the first question? Does macroevol is macroevolution compatible with scripture? Well, you won't believe what happened here in this uh, in this session. It was three and a half hours long. And I'll give you kind of the uh, the two-minute summary of it right after the break. You're listening to "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist" with Frank Turek. Our phone number today: triple eight five eight nine eighty-eight forty, triple eight five eight nine eighty-eight forty. And I hope to get the calls a little bit later in the program. If you want to call in, please do. We're back in just a couple of minutes. So don't go anywhere.
2: niceness is killing us it's the reason why christians won't fight it's the reason why you still send your kids to public schools even though they're being indoctrinated in the most horrendous immorality christians have become so bland so unconcerned so non-confrontational we want people to think we're nice no we have to start fighting
3: sandy rios in the morning weekdays at 7 central on american family radio
0: Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools and their job is to protect their kids from these influences
1: Tune in for Family
3: Talk with Dr. James Dobson weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio
0: Thank you everyone for tuning in to our program God's blessings to you
3: all Here's Brian Clark with today's Bible Minute. A while back, I went to a farm sale and noticed a row of tractors. When the auctioneers started calling, 20, 20, 20, 20, I asked my neighbor Dwight, what does he mean, $20,000? Dwight said, nope, $20. $20. $20? A farmer once stretched his budget to the limit to buy one of these tractors. Now they're going for 20 bucks a piece? Well, that's a picture of the stuff of this world. It loses value, and you suffer the loss. So we have a choice. Focus on investing in temporal things, or as Paul encourages us in Colossians, seek the things that are above. In other words, believe by faith that what God says is true and trade the things of this world for lasting treasure. That's an eternal investment, and you can make that investment today. To hear more Bible Minutes, visit backtothebible.org slash BibleMinute
1: As we come into Thanksgiving week, and it has to do with being thankful, do you realize that it's impossible to be happy or content if you're not grateful, if you're not thankful? And so just keep that in mind. We have a lot to be thankful for. And uh, if you ever want to achieve any sort of contentment or happiness, you have to be grateful. You have to be thankful. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. That when we suppress the truths and try and go our own way, and we worship the created rather than the creator, and we're not thankful, we don't give thanks, we're on the road to destruction. So just keep that in mind. So much to be thankful for. Anyway, let me go back to the meeting I just began to speak about before the break down at... uh, in san diego at ets evangelical theological society evangelical philosophical society it was a meeting on macroevolution and as i said they at least we thought they were trying to deal with two questions is macroevolution compatible with scripture and does the scientific data support macroevolution well to be honest with you the theistic evolutionists didn't say much <laughs> i mean it was it was it was rambling And they they tried to generally say that the answer to number one, is macroevolution compatible with scripture? They tried to say yes, although they didn't really give any solid reasons. And by the time this whole thing was over, nobody had really given any evidence for theistic evolution or macroevolution of any kind. I I was there to hear number two, does the scientific data support macroevolution? Now, Stephen Meyer, who had 20 minutes to speak, as he always does, spoke eloquently about why um, macroevolution is not viable. And the one thing that he tried to talk about more than anything else was the fact that mutations that could bring about new body plans are lethal. Any mutation that happens early on in the embryotic process or early on in a... In a creature's life, that mutation is the only kind of mutation that could theoretically create some kind of body change later. Mutations that come later in the development process will not give you any kind of new body plan. The problem is, all of the mutations that occur early in the development of a creature tend to be lethal. So the creature won't live, which stops evolution right there. If if the thing's dead, it can't go on. Now, there are many other reasons to believe that macroevolution is not plausible. There's evidence against it. This is just one. The fact that the early mutations necessary for a change in body plans are lethal. Meyer also pointed out that three years ago, November 2016, the Royal Society, in a very august Uh, scientific affiliation out in uh, the UK started by Isaac Newton. They gathered people together to try and come up with a new theory of macroevolution because the current theory of mutating the genetic code doesn't work. It doesn't bring about new life forms. And so he pointed that out, that you have all these, these evolutionists. These are people who are, many of them are atheists, but they're admitting that the entire mechanism that evolutionists point to doesn't work. It doesn't give you new life forms. And so if the atheists are saying macroevolution doesn't work, why would any Christian say we need to adopt it into Christianity or we need to somehow figure it out if it's compatible with Scripture? It's not even true. <laughs> so why would you? It's like saying... um, why don't we see if we could get heliocentrism and uh, get that theory and start supporting that theory and then see if it's compatible with Scripture, the idea that uh, the sun goes around the earth. Why don't we, why don't we see if that's compatible with Scripture? Well, nobody's doing that. Why? Because we know that's not the case. There's no reason to see if it's compatible with Scripture. But I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, you can make a better case from Scripture that the sun goes around the earth than you could that macroevolution's true. And yet you've got people trying to claim that a theory which doesn't even work, doesn't have scientific evidence behind it, arguably, it has evidence against it, they're trying to get they're trying to get Christians to support it when it doesn't even the scientific data doesn't support it. Why would you do that? Paul Nelson also got up and he was very clear and said that naturalism is the real problem here. The reason people are trying to support macroevolution is because they have a philosophical bias against any kind of intelligent cause. William Lane Craig also gave a presentation there and he was kind of just trying to define what macroevolution was, and he at one point said, I'm not a theistic evolutionist, which relieved a lot of people because some people were thinking he was going that direction. He's not. Anyway, when the Q&A started, one person asked uh, if, uh, of the theistic evolutionists, do they believe that the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke is true, it, which starts with Adam and goes through all the way up to Jesus. Do you think that's true? And they, most of them wouldn't answer, which is telling. And I had the opportunity to ask a question, and here's the question I asked. I said, when Richard Dawkins was asked by Philip Johnson, what's your best evidence for macroevolution? Philip Johnson asked that of Dawkins. Dawkins replied this way. He said, the reason we know we are all ancestrally related, we know that evolution is true, is because we have a common genetic code. And I said, well, Dawkins could be right. It could be evidence of a common ancestor, but could also be evidence of a common creator or common designer. What evidence what is the best evidence for macroevolution that could not also be interpreted as evidence for a common designer? I asked that question. Well, you should have seen the blank stares on all the theistic evolutionists. None of them wanted to try and take on the question. One of them did, and he went on to say, well, broken genes look like it's, it's good evidence for common ancestry anyway. Broken genes. You know, there are broken genes in humans and maybe broken genes in apes, so they must share a common ancestor. Otherwise, we'd have to believe that God put these broken genes individually in these different kinds of creatures. And it seems more plausible to suggest that, no, they just share a common ancestor. That's why they have these broken genes. And, and Stephen Meyer jumped in and said, well, we're, we're, we're looking at one of those broken genes right now, and we don't think it's actually broken. We think it was designed that way. And that was it is the best evidence you have from macroevolution suspected broken genes? And even if that were evidence for a common ancestor, by what mechanism do we get all of these new life forms? Naturalistic mechanism. You could say this could point to a common ancestor. Okay, maybe it does. Maybe it could. But what mechanism gives you that? No answer was forthcoming. Now, there's more on this that we're going to talk about a little bit later later. But uh, I just wanted to give you that kind of five minute overview of what happened there. And the bottom line to the entire thing is the fact that nobody gave a word of evidence other than when I asked them to for theistic evolution, macro evolution, not a word, a three hour discussion, no evidence. Well, why do you think it's true? Because some naturalists say it's true? And even they're doubting it? Anyway, we'll keep a sharp eye on what's going to happen here. I think the intelligent design people are starting to make some headway, thanks to people like Stephen Meyer, Paul Nelson, and Discovery Institute. But we'll keep an eye on it. All right, let me answer a couple of questions, and then I'll go to the phones. 888-589-8840, 888 589 Got a question, email question from Daniel Andrews. Not Very complimentary things, but I want to get right to the question. Thanks for your compliments, um, Daniel but here's what he says I'm reading I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and I'm reading the chapters giving evidence for the accurate history of the New Testament I 100% believe in the accuracy of the New Testament my question is this when we are discussing with skeptics that the New Testament has many more manuscripts than many, any other historical document with Homer's Iliad being a distant second how do we respond to the claim yeah but the Iliad isn't proclaiming to be the only absolute truth leading to eternal life so the number of manuscripts is really irrelevant just curious how you would, how you would unpack that Okay, here's how I'd unpack it. The number of manuscripts doesn't necessarily tell you whether or not what's said in the manuscripts is true. It just helps you discover what the original New Testament said. You see, there are two questions that have to be decided here, Daniel. One is, do we have an accurate copy of the New Testament documents? That's question one. That's what the manuscript evidence does. Question two is, Did the original New Testament tell us the truth, or do the original New Testament documents tell us the truth? That's a completely different question. So the question with regard to the number of manuscripts is just helping us establish that we do have an accurate copy of the original documents. Now, we can have an accurate copy of a lie, right? That's certainly possible, to figure out whether it's a lie or not, we got to go to the next question, and that is, are the New Testament documents telling us the truth? And we've done that quite a bit on this program. Uh, we have 10 lines of evidence that the New Testament writers are telling us the truth. So I don't, I don't have time to go through all that here, but the, the manuscript, the number of manuscript copies, no one is saying that because we have all these manuscript copies that everything the New Testament says is true. It's just telling us what the New Testament originally said because we can compare all these manuscript copies and recreate the original with more than 99% accuracy. So the question then is, is it really true? And that's a completely other question. So uh, in a certain sense, the atheist or the skeptic who is bringing this up uh, is missing the point. The point isn't whether or not it's true. The point is, do we have a copy of what the original said? Okay, Joel asks this question. I've been wondering if the events described in the Exodus account are supported by any other ancient accounts, especially Egyptian. It seems to me that such events would be recorded, uh, would be recorded in Egyptian, not just Jewish documentation. Here's what we write, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. We covered this there, Joel, so you, if you want to further, you can go there. Uh, I say this, Dr. Gushen. and I say this, while the Old Testament tells us of one embarrassing gaft after another, most other ancient historians avoid even mentioning unflattering historical events. For example, there's been nothing found in the records of Egypt about the exodus, leading some critics to suggest the event never occurred. But what do critics expect? Here's what writer Peter Feynman imagines a press release from Pharaoh might say. Quote, a spokesman from Ramses the Great, Pharaoh of Pharaohs, supreme ruler of Egypt, son of Ra, before whom all true before all before whom all tremble in in awe, blinded by his brilliance. Today announced that the man Moses kicked his royal rear end for all the world to see, thus proving that God is Yahweh and the 2,000-year-old culture of Egypt is a lie. Film at eleven. unquote. <laughs> Of course no press secretary for Pharaoh would admit such an event. The Egyptian silence on the Exodus is understandable. However, by contrast, when the Egyptians scored a military victory, they went to press and they exaggerated greatly. And this is apparent from the oldest known reference to Israel outside the Bible. It comes from a granite granite monument in uh, the funerary temple of the Pharaoh Merneptah in Thebes and what it says is telling i'll get to it right after the break you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with frank turek our phone number 888-589-8840 back to your phone calls in just a minute
3: you toss you turn you wake up feeling totally stressed it's that nightmare almost everyone has one time or another being caught unprepared for an exam a deadline or a performance actually life's worst nightmare is about not being ready and its reality. Jesus described a man who had been all about himself, who was totally unprepared when God said to him, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Now for each of us, there will come that day when God says, it is over. And that's why the Bible says, prepare to meet your God. The only way to prepare is to get rid of the sins that will keep you out of heaven. And no religion can do that for you. Because only Jesus died to satisfy the death penalty for your sins. You can't afford to let other things crowd out Jesus any longer. You can't keep hoping that you were basically a good person and that will be enough. You need Christ in your heart. If you want to learn how to have that type of relationship with Jesus, Call 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com.
2: Hey, Bart, I know the perfect Christmas gift for a congregation to give to their pastor and his wife.
4: What's that, Jan?
2: Sign them up for the AFA Pastors and Wives Fishbowl Retreat. Oh. You know how every pastor's family has extra stress because of their position in the church and community? It's like living in a fishbowl. Yeah,
4: and we've lived through that. The holidays can be especially stressful. So your idea would give the pastor and his wife something
0: to look forward to. This Christmas, why not give your pastor and his wife a ticket to the Fishbowl Retreat? It'll be March 31st through April 2nd at Pine Cove Camp near Tyler, Texas. We have space for 30 couples, and it'll fill up fast. You can get more information and
4: register your pastor and his wife at repairingthefoundations.net. That's repairingthefoundations.net. Or you can call 662 844 5036, extension 300.
2: Merry Christmas from the American Family Association and from the AFA Pastors and Wives Fishbowl Retreat.
1: If you're low on the FM dial looking for National Public Radio, you've actually come to the right place because we're going to tell you the truth here. You're not going to hear this on NPR. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist" with Frank Turek, American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. And by the way, if you want an overview of why Christianity is true, just text the word evidence to 44222. Text the evidence. Text the word evidence to 44222, and we'll send you the PDF of the PowerPoint presentation. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. you also get the first chapter of my book, Stealing from God. And you'll get one email a week from us that will have a video in it, a short video from the college campus that you can share with other people, QA video. By the way, all those QA videos are on our YouTube channel, crossexamine.org. Check those out there. Again, the word is evidence to 44222. Okay, we were talking about a question from Joel about why don't the Egyptians report the Exodus because it was too embarrassing. And I was saying just before the break that when they did have a military victory, the, uh, the Egyptians proclaimed it. And there's a Merneptah Stella, also called the Israel Stella, which is a, a, basically a, a, a stone monument with inscriptions on it. And the monument boasts about the military victory of Pharaoh in the highlands of Canaan, claiming, quote, uh, claiming that, quote, Israel is laid waste. Its seed is not. His seed is not. And historians date this battle to 1207 B.C., which confirms that Israel must have been in the land by then in order to be defeated by Egypt. And we know that according to biblical dating, the Exodus took place about 440 or so B.C. So this is 200 or so years later. And uh, so anyway, they're not going to say anything about it because it would would be embarrassing. Now, the Bible, unlike other ancient writings, reports all the embarrassing details and stories surrounding its supposed heroes, which is one reason I think it's telling the truth because typically that doesn't happen. By the way, there's a lot of evidence that the Exodus... Uh, Did take place and the uh, the Israelites wandered, but they wandered on the Saudi Peninsula, not the Sinai Peninsula. You can look up a uh, you can look up a website called Patterns of Evidence. And my friend, Dr. Bob Cornuke has also done some research in on this. And Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, not the Sinai Peninsula. I don't have time to get into all that right now. We've talked about it before. Maybe at another point we'll get into it some more. But that's the answer to that, Joel. So thanks for your question. And Shirley's been waiting long enough there in Tennessee. Shirley, you're on with Frank Turk. Go right ahead, ma'am. How are you?
5: Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate your show. Got three quick points. Um, yes, ma'am. But I want to say <clears throat> we know Solomon and Gomorrah existed because we've got plenty of brimstone out there. And we're that's right. To prove it, but um, you know, I've never been a big fan of Chick Fil A. Um, that's just me. Uh, I know a lot of African Americans love it, but I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, the chicken was always too salty for me. And number two, I never saw where that organization did anything but gave a little money here or there. They didn't get all into events and really seem to go all out for events like some other that are Christian events like some other companies too. And the devil's logic makes no sense anyway. And I wanted to share this. How can people, Pharisees ruled by Satan, believe that they could kill a man who's been raising people from the dead? I never understood that. And number two, how can these people think that they're going to just be raptured up out of here and never see any of the problems that will come and the turmoils and the trials for Christians, how can they think that when the Bible is clear that many Christian heads will roll? So they're thinking that the Holy Spirit will be removed from this place. I don't believe that. I don't believe when he says he's going to move that which withholds it. He's talking about moving the four angels so that the winds are strife. He well, surely, be as, surely as, can
1: as you know, Christians have different views on eschatology. And um, I know people way smarter than me that have studied this and they come to opposite conclusions. So I just know we win in the end. I'm not on the planning committee. I'm on the the welcoming committee, okay? So when Jesus comes back, I'll welcome him, but when he's coming back, only he knows. But anyway, your final point was what?
5: And my final point is, I just believe that it's time for us to, as you said, focus on Christ, really Mm -hmm. get our hearts and lives together share with other people we have to not hold back the gospel
1: absolutely Shirley. The and, and they see that's, that's part of the, the problem treatment. there there are people who are non-christians who are sharing their worldview more effectively than we are They're sharing their false worldview, and they're stealing rights from God in order to say that, that they have certain rights, and yet God doesn't exist when nobody has any rights if God doesn't exist. Yet we're not sharing the truth that God does exist, and he loves everybody. He doesn't love everything we do, but he loves everybody, and everybody needs his grace. Whether you're LGBTQ or heterosexual, we all need God's grace, and that's the message we should bring everywhere. Thanks for your call, Shirley. Appreciate it. Let me go on to Sarah, listening in. Are you in Iowa, Sarah?
6: Oh yes, I'm in Iowa.
1: <laughs> go ahead, ma'am. How are you doing?
6: Hi, I'm doing well, and thanks for your show, and thanks for having me on. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> I the, with the um, the Chick-fil-A situation, I heard it, and my heart sank. I'm not. I don't. I agree with Shirley. It's not my favorite food. However, mm-hmm. our family had frequented there just because we like their stand, and um. Right. I have four daughters. My youngest is 19, a freshman in college, and she's been fighting the site there. Mm-hmm. And I <clears throat> hope I don't get choked up, but she, um, when I told her, I just told her yesterday morning, she hadn't really heard. We hadn't had a chance to talk about that issue this week. And I said, so nobody's boycotting. And she's not really big on boycotting, but she goes, we should. And mm-hmm. um, she said, this is a betrayal and what? i just think i see her like she wrote her freshman her first essay on why she's committed to christ mhm <clears throat> excuse me anyway I just, I just see her out there on the front lines and i well, think well um dan dan cassie and the, that organization betray their stand and um Anyway,
1: Well, I, I agree with you, and that's why I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to clarify and walk back this misunderstanding, if it is a misunderstanding. Right. It doesn't appear to be a misunderstanding, because if they are given to Covenant House, and they know what Covenant House does, then it's a pro-LGBTQ group that is actively trying to advance that political agenda— and it is actually affirming this unbiblical, unnatural behavior. It's affirming the behavior. Now, let me, let me be very clear. All people, regardless of how they self-identify, are made in the image of God. So we need to treat everybody with respect. We're not talking about people here. We're talking about behaviors. And if you're gonna support certain behaviors that are against what Christ wants for us, how do you call yourself a Christian organization? Why would you call yourself a Christian organization? Why would you on one hand say that you're, you're Christian and, and you love everybody, and yet on the other hand, support something that you know is not loving according to Christ? Why would you do that?
6: I agree hundred percent
1: and so hopefully they're going to change Sarah only time will tell uh, i 'm going to give them at least some of the benefit of the doubt right now and see if they make any statement this week right. but I'm, I just
6: i'm going to be signing the petition to encourage them to yes it's at afa make, make net
1: a statement. afa net and God bless you for bringing up those girls and making them strong to stand for the truth now everyone knows they're going to be persecuted for doing that, but that's what Jesus promised us that's what that's that's that kind of comes with the territory so so, continue to affirm your daughter and what she's doing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. God bless. All right, Jim, I got just a minute, so we'll try and squeeze it in. How are you?
4: Uh, I'm doing good. I'll try to make it quick. I mm-hmm. uh, haven't ever heard this question addressed, but um, I'm just saying that there was always the potential for sin in the beginning of, uh, of creation. What is to stop sin to <laughs> reoccur? in in heaven because we still have uh angels as apparently angels had the potential for mm-hmm. sinning in the beginning I, I would i would think that that potential still existed as well as man mm-hmm. and i know we don't want to be uh, robots and automatrons up in, in heaven as well we will have free will so i needed some reassurance that uh sin while being wiped out uh for, so so to speak uh you know I, I just don't know why wouldn't that
1: Yeah, it's an excellent angry. question. Definitely Can will really we be able occurring. to sin in will we be able to sin in heaven? Now angels are different from human beings. Angels are a different kind of being. You know, they're not they're not material beings, they're immaterial beings. And it seems to me there had to be some what we would call epistemic distance between angels and God before the fall otherwise if they were in the complete presence of God there wouldn't have been a fall so they had to have at least some distance between and so God could give them the freedom to choose right Um, but it seems to me that once we get to heaven we'll still have free will but there will be no need or desire to sin why because the reason we sin now is we're trying to get good things but we're taking shortcuts to get them in heaven there will be no need to try and get something we don't have because we'll all ha- we'll have everything we need and we'll see God for who he is. So it seems to me there won't be any any impetus to sin, there won't be any desire to sin, yet we'll still have free will which will it will allow us to love God for who he is and 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 it, without free will obviously we can't love. So I think we will have free will in heaven but it won't result in... In in sin, because there will be no need to sin because we will have everything we want. Thank you for the call, Jim. Uh, so that and, and other Christian theologians might say, oh, we don't have free will in heaven. I, I actually think we will. And uh, now we sin to get good things. In fact, when you, if you think about it, the reason you sin is usually for one of three reasons or a combination of the three, sex, money, or power, relationships, finances, or power, prestige. Well, there's not going to be any need for any of that in heaven. You won't lack any of that. So there will be no need to do such a thing. And you'll see God for who he is. First John three talks about basically the beatific vision. We'll see God for who he is and we'll be fulfilled. So no, we won't sin in heaven. All right, friends. Great being with you. And uh, we'll talk more uh, next week. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Remember, you cannot be happy or content without being grateful. If you are grateful, it's really hard to complain too, isn't it? So be thankful for what Christ has done for us and share that with others. God bless. See you next week.